0: welcome this week's Live on Cyber. Did 23andMe get hacked, or was it our fault for recycling passwords, reusing login information? And that was how the genetic information of millions of people was released. We've got a spicy one for you today. Dr. Stahl, hello. (laughs) Welcome.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Hi, Julie. Great to be here, Ms. Morris. Yes. Yeah. A story surfaced last week, it's, it's 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 interesting for several reasons. first, just the 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 raw story, if you will. on the website, on, on the dark web surfaced a lot of information for sale about people using twenty three and me. And when twenty three and me looked in, into it and what the news stories seemed consistent with it, it appears that Multiple 23andMe accounts were broken into by people who were bad guys, obviously, bad guys who had the passwords of legitimate 23andMe users. How did they have those passwords? Because they were being reused. Those passwords had been used on other websites that had been breached. The passwords were now known. The Cyber Criminals them. Here in 23andMe, they do that regularly. It's called credential stuffing. And anybody who uses the same password across those systems, now the bad guys have access to the 23andMe accounts. That's step one. And here's where it now gets really interesting. Okay, so they break into 23andMe. I happen to have a 23andMe account. They've got my genetic information. That's bad enough. What they also have, though... Are the names and 23andMe contact information, at least, for all of my relatives who have said, connect me. When you go to 23andMe, it's often to find relatives you have that you may not know you have uh, last week. Uh, young man i know i've known him 25 years he's married to the daughter of a very good friend of ours and we know him we've watched his children grow up he texts me out of the blue he had just done 23andme and he and i are second cousin wow that's but that's what the information that's available yeah on 23andme so all that information of all of yeah. these people they estimate 14 million of us is in the hands of these bad guys and being sold.
0: Yeah. So what a story. Uh, let's like the danger, like we think about, okay, so uh, we get so tired of hearing about all the hacks and all the things that part of us just wants to go, oh, screw it, let them have it. They want it so <laughs> bad, fine. I'm not going to deal with all this stuff. I don't want to have to tell Google Maps to stop tracking me and this one to stop tracking me. So screw it. Just let it all be out there. But the problem. We sometimes don't realize how bad the problem is until we have, like for example, does someone want to know that we're Jewish? Mm-hmm. What would they do with that information? A couple of weeks that's ago, right. we might not have thought so seriously about it.
1: Yeah, no, exactly, and, and and that's part of the story that what has been leaked seems to be people Ashkenazi Jews, Eastern European Jews. I happen yep. to be one of those. You as well, yes. and. Yeah, that that's us we're talking about, and we know we live in dangerous times. So, what's the nefarious end of this? Yeah, and I mean that's the political side of it. To your point, our information is out there. More and more of it is out there. At some level, you know, you shrug your shoulders, but at another level. This is not shoulder shrugging time. This is not uh, not something's going on here.
0: Yeah, 100%. And so when we have this level of sensitive information, we would anticipate that there would be more safeguards that were given as tools when we sign up for an account. We would anticipate that really strict password protections and requirements, like it's not... A password that's short. It's not a password that's uncomplex. We would anticipate that company would set it up such that we were forced to go through extra measures. For example, multi-factor authentication. Yeah. And it, yes,
1: it, yeah, it, it, exactly, Julie. But on the one level, I'm 23 and me properly recommends mm-hmm. that users install multi-factor authentication. Little side story on that. When I set up my 23andMe account, I did that. My wife had not. She at least has a long, complex password, not reused. But she had not set it. I'm not even sure she was on MF on 23andMe long before I was. So she goes to set it up last night. Whoa, you think it's easy?
0: I would not think at so. all. She
1: had to try it four or five times until it got it finally in her. The fact that the app was on her iPhone as well as on the desktop. And this the challenge was with that. That's in, in part of 23andMe thing, but it's also an industry thing. Yes. This is a place where frankly the industry has got to has got to do better. And yes. I think the other place as well, right here, where both the industry and 23andMe can be better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have to nudge our, our users aren't educated about cyber yet. We've talked about that. It's like driving in the 1920s before rules of the road were firmly established. First time people saw red light, did they know what they were supposed to do? Probably not. Now it's automatic. Like the Uh, seatbelt,
0: Dan. I remember when we had a friend come over when I was very young and my mother said, no, I'm, I don't even want to drive you unless you're wearing a seatbelt. And to her, it was such an affront because like she had never worn seatbelts, never wanted to wear seatbelts and Mm -hmm. no one was going to make her wear a seatbelt. And now it would be very weird to have someone get in our car and to say, I don't wear seatbelts. What? my car's going (laughs) to ding at you the whole drive. I will not let you not wear a seatbelt, but that's the culture shift over. What, 30 years, 40 years? Yeah. It's happened, mm-hmm. but we're still at the I'm not gonna receive a You're not gonna make me ew. No.
1: That's right. MFA, that's, that's for somebody cyber. else. Yeah. Damn banks make me use MFA. That that kind of thing. But that's where leadership is so important here. It is. It truly, Julie. And one can ask of the industry to be leaders. Consider how much different this story would be if when you went to create an account with 23andMe, you had a warning, first of all, on the password side. Don't reuse a password from another time, another place. Make it long complex if that were already there. And installing MFA was automatic when you created the account. You don't have a choice of, well, gee, do I want it or don't. No, it's like seatbelts. Do it and build it so that the car doesn't run unless the seatbelts are connected. Yes. they. We went through a period when there were sensors that would do that.
0: Oh, wow. That's yeah. cool. I and like now, older cars. <laughs>
1: that, <laughs> they that, dig that, at me and I'm right. excited. Yeah, uh, but th- those are things we yeah. can do. Yeah.
0: We have to do better. We mm-hmm. cannot also make it complex for people who are and Rita is super smart with tech, Hmm. but like my dad, he's willing, but some there is a gap between, wait, you told me to do what? And I don't understand. It's like getting directions to assemble Mm -hmm. a piece of furniture and you're looking at him and it's too small and it's complex. And what's this mean? And you want to just throw the whole thing away. And so I'm glad she didn't give up because she (laughs) <laughs> we we don't give up for hard things, but right. we've got to test yeah. these things. If you don't, if you haven't tested your company's multi-factor to make sure that their users can actually get through those steps, mm-hmm. forget telling me that you've done the work, but to put it in place because it doesn't work yet. We don't know if it works yet, so make yeah. it work.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and make it yes. as easy on our users as we can. That's part of the responsibility. Yes. The other part of the responsibility is also on users, and that's really on organizations like ours, Secure the Village. The responsibility of organizations like the Cybercrime Support Network and all the other that are helping to educate the users out there uh, that we too have the need and the opportunity to raise our game to try to help users just navigate this stuff more effectively. Yes.
0: Absolutely. I think if there was some real there's so much work that we have to do to explain things and to re explain them and to re explain them and to not get tired of listening and to trying. I think like sometimes people change behavior when they hear really hard stories of people they know that have been taken advantage of. And then you can't unhear it. But Mm -hmm. we're not there yet. So we need to keep Telling people we care about and bringing the message mm-hmm. into our communities, normalizing the discussion of how's your cyber hygiene? How's your mm-hmm. digital interaction going? Do you even know what would happen if somebody got yeah. to your phone? Yeah. What's there that you would not have maybe backed up? Are you running yeah. backups? Do you know what that is? Like just talking these things out is so crucial.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole idea of just cyber mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it in mind. Make it mindful. Make it a habit.
0: I love that. I love that. And so here at Secure the Village, part of our mission really is to bring these good practices into places where they're not currently. Like, for example, small businesses, nonprofits, even with your IT service providers. So we've created this new pilot program here at Secure the Village called LA Cybersecure. It's funded by a grant from the Center for Internet Securities Alan Paller Laureate Program. And we're talking about this pilot program a lot because there's so much work to do to secure all of these users in Los Angeles that have on my computer, for example, I have client notes and things that no one else should see. But like, who's guarding your kid's daycare? Who's guarding the nonprofit down the street as they care Mm -hmm. for the community? So if you know of anybody who needs the help there within cybersecurity, Mm -hmm. please have them go to securethevillage.org. We have a place right at the top where you can learn about this cybersecurity program training, et cetera. It's a pilot, meaning low cost, low to almost no cost to you. So please join us in this. Send this information off to somebody who really does need to get the work done there. Mm -hmm. And we can't wait to partner with them. So
1: that's right. When I said when when I look an overview of, of, of all of this, we are so vulnerable. We are truly. And I and I, I say that with 50 with sorry, 40, 43 years now of experience in, in in the cybersecurity industry, much of it in the small, medium-sized business market. And yet There are fundamental, basic things you can do. We write about them every week. The pilot program is all about, let's make them real inside of these organizations. We've got a great, it's team-based, so it's very efficient and it's also very effective that way. A lot of uniquenesses about it, if you will, including that we're standing on the shoulders of some giants, the Center for Internet Security, Sightline Security, Cyber Readiness Institute, organizations like that. Yeah, as as, as you say, Julie, please come join us.
0: Wonderful to have this discussion with you today, folks. Turn that MFA on. Struggle through it. Fuss at the company if it's not working right for you, because if it's not working for you, there's a host of other people who it's not working for too. Be careful what you put out there and what you share with companies, knowing that once it's out there, it's out there. It just is. So until cybercrime is not lucrative, we'll see you next time (laughs) here on Live on Cyber. Share us with a friend. Rate, subscribe, follow us as we do this work to secure our global village. So thanks so much, and we'll see you later. Thanks, Dr. Stan.
1: Thanks, Ms. Morris.